Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of James by looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This passage is a troubling passage to some. As we read through it, James seems to be contradicting things that Paul had written to the church in Rome. Paul said that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. And here James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Religious people have been debating how to harmonize these two authors for a long time. In 1522, Martin Luther translated the Bible into German. And at that time, he said that some books that were in our New Testament were more important to others. The writings of John and the writings of Paul, along with the book of 1 Peter, were held in high regard by Martin Luther. He said these were the books that truly showed readers who Christ was. But he said that the book of James, in comparison, was full of straw. In his introduction to the letter in his translation of the Bible, he said that this writing was not apostolic because he felt it contradicted Paul. He even once remarked that he would give his doctor's beret to anyone who could reconcile James and Paul. Many men smarter than me have tried to explain this passage in a way that made sense but did not contradict the tenets of faith as put forth by Paul and other New Testament writers. In this episode, I'll try to find a way to explain the way I understand it at this time. 
And if it doesn't make sense immediately or you don't agree, I hope that you'll take the time to look at the passages, look at the things that I've said, things that you hear from others, and use the wisdom that God has given you to discern how you should understand it. It seems to me that when Paul is writing in Romans, he is making a point similar to maybe when a wife asks her husband, do you love me? And the husband responds by saying, of course I do. I go to work every day and I make a living and I make sure you have a car that's running well and I make sure the bills are paid and they're paid on time. Uh, I go with you to visit your family. I watch the kids so you can go out and uh, do things with your friends. I let you buy new clothes all the time. And, And he makes a list of things that he is confident will prove to his wife that he loves her. But her response is, but you complain about doing all of those things, and you never seem excited to see me. You never remember things that are important to me. You never ask what I want. You almost never say, I love you. In my illustration, the husband is wanting what he forced himself to do to be proof that he loves his wife. His wife was struggling with that, though, because He wasn't always doing the things that she wanted him to do, and he didn't always seem like he wanted to be with her. Paul seems to be making a similar point to his readers. He's talking about folks that by sheer force of will are keeping aspects of the law of Moses and using that as proof that they have faith in God. And Paul lets them know that it is absolutely possible by sheer force of will to do things and faith not be a part of it at all, and that it's only when faith is the motivator for those things that they have any value at all. And even then, you have to make sure you're doing the things that God wants you to do. If you go back and look at the context of what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 3 and into chapter 4, He's talking about Gentiles not having to keep the law of Moses to prove that they are good Christians, to prove that they are in good standing with God. There were people who Paul knew that were teaching exactly that, that these Gentile people had to become Jews first or else they weren't really Christians. So Paul is making that argument. James, on the other hand, seems to be talking about a situation where the wife asks a husband, do you love me? And he says, what are you talking about? I tell you all the time that I love you. I say nice things to you. I don't ever get mad at you. Uh, I buy you gifts all the time. But she responds by saying, but you never have a job. You don't take care of me and your family. I have to go out and do things to make ends meet. You don't pay the bills on time, and we're constantly being harassed by bill payers. You lie to me frequently. I've caught you cheating on me more than once. It just doesn't feel like you love me. Your actions aren't matching your words. In the same way, James seems to be saying to his readers that a lot of folks are running around saying, I'm a Christian. I have faith in God. I don't believe that there's any other religion other than Christianity. But those words that they're saying aren't producing any type of character or action that looks remotely like Christ. They say they're following Christ, that they trust him enough to do what he says, but 
there's never any evidence that they're doing those things. And so James questions out loud, do these folks really have a saving faith? James seems to be making a contrast between mental assent, the the idea of just thinking in your mind that something is right or wrong, true or false. He seems to be making a distinction between that and submissive trust. And I think in our day, the way we use the word believe and the way we use the word faith can add to our misunderstanding of what James is talking about. Very often we can use the word belief and use the word faith, and they mean very different things. But as James is writing, when he talks about belief and faith in this short passage, it's the same Greek word. So they have the same meaning. To illustrate the point, let's think about some of the things that we believe to be true. We believe that Russia is a country on the other side of the world. Many of us have never been there, but we've seen evidence that convinces us that Russia is actually a country. The thing is that belief that Russia is a country doesn't often affect our day-to-day life. It's something that we believe in our minds is accurate, but it's not something that we've put our submissive trust into. We're not altering our actions, our thought patterns, things like that, just because Russia's a country. So we use the word belief to, to describe that. But when Scripture uses belief, it's exactly the same word as faith, and that seems to be trusting God enough to do what he tells us that we have pledged our allegiance to him, and therefore when he tells us to do something, we act on it because we believe it's in our best interest. That will impact our daily lives. That will affect our decision-making and our thought processes. That's different than just agreeing that God exists. That says, because God exists, I'm going to give my full allegiance to him. We can also see the difference in the way we often respond to Scripture. Most of us agree in our minds, have given mental assent to the fact that God says He wants me to love everyone. But fewer of us have faith in that statement that would keep us from pouting or holding a grudge when someone did something I didn't like. Faith causes me to be kind to people who don't like me. Because I absolutely trust God when he says he wants me to love everyone. Mental assent says that God wants me to be part of his church. Having faith in that statement causes me to be an active part of a local congregation doing whatever I can to help it achieve its purposes. Mental assent says that God wants the church to grow. Faith causes me to live a life that makes Christianity attractive to others, to invite friends and family to church and to share my faith with anyone who's interested. Just agreeing with God or mental assent says that God wants everyone to be saved, but faith keeps me from prejudging who would accept the gospel and who would not and causes me to start spiritual conversations as often as possible, no matter who I'm talking to. See, there's a difference between Believing a statement is true and believing it so deeply that it affects how I react to it and how I react to others because of it. James makes a very strong statement about people who say the right things and agree with the right statements, 
but don't trust them enough to let it affect their actions. He questions whether they have a faith that can save them. He calls their faith useless. He calls their faith dead. He says, if you believe that God exists, that's great. But even demons do that. Our belief, our agreement that God exists has to become faith. Demons believe that God exists, but they are in absolute rebellion to anything that God has said that would give life. If we claim that we believe in God, but we look at our lives and can't see fruit in our lives that comes from that faith, that looks like the fruit described in Scripture, that looks like the actions, the behaviors, the characters in Scripture, that's producing fruits of the Spirit, if that's not there, we have to admit that we're calling something faith that is not the faith that God has asked for. And to illustrate the story, James says that Abraham was justified by works when he put his son on an altar. God had asked him to offer up his only son, and Abraham did it. James says this is what justified Abraham. Paul, back in Romans, used exactly the same story and said, see, Abraham's faith justified him. Some have said, surely they both can't be right. But if we are convinced that James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul, an apostle of Jesus, both were sharing the same good news, we have to see that there's some way that those two are reconciled. There is some way that both of those statements are true at the same time. So Paul is writing to a group of people for whom faith was not their motivation. They were doing things and feeling like they had earned something because they had checked enough things off a list. And Paul let them know that because faith was not behind it, faith was not what was creating these good works, they weren't even the things that God wanted them to do, that they had missed the mark, that they were sinning, and they did not stand justified before God. But here James is letting us know that if it is truly faith, even faith the size of a mustard seed, if it's planted, it will grow up and produce a plant that bears fruit. And so if there has been a seed planted in us, and we call it faith, but it never grows up and matures and produces fruit, we have to question whether that thing that was planted was actually faith at all. Whether what we're calling faith is the faith that God has called us to. When James talks about faith growing and finding its completion or its fulfillment in action, he actually uses the same word that he used back in the first chapter when he talked about us being able to be perfect because of the Word of God. And in that first episode of the study, we talked about the idea of being perfect was not being without mistake. It was accomplishing its purpose, finding its fulfillment. We are called to grow up into Christ and find our fulfillment, live out our purpose. And that happens as we abide in the Word. And here, faith finds its fulfillment. It finds its completion. It finds its perfection in the work that's done that's motivated by that faith, that's informed by that faith, that's guided by that faith. So James is warning his readers that if they can't see the fruit of the faith that's been planted in them, 
They should check their hearts and make sure that it is faith in God that they have, that they are trusting God enough to do all that he says. He also uses the story of Rahab from the Old Testament and makes the point that she absolutely believed in God. She told the spies that she had heard all of the stories about God and believed that he was the God of creation. She said all the folks in Jericho believed that as well, but she was the only one that was willing to respond to that. It was her response that saved her. God rescued her in her response, in her submission to doing the things that he called her to do. We've said already in this study that God doesn't ask us to do things so that we can earn something from him, so that we can earn a wage for our good work. He's called us to these things because it puts us in a pathway where he's working and we can receive his blessing. And in the process of being blessed by him, we're transformed into people who are equipped for eternity with him. So James lets us know that people of faith are friends of God, just like Abraham. He lets us know that our actions make our faith complete or whole. He lets us know that we can't just say we have faith and expect to be saved because faith without works is like a body without a spirit. The body lays there lifeless. Works all by themselves are dead and don't accomplish anything for anyone. But when faith is in them, when faith is what animates it, just like the spirit inside a body animates it, it becomes something living and active that can fulfill the purposes that God always intended. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.